All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to get down to work. We have on the agenda tonight for a book club meeting number 10. I cannot believe it. It's book club meeting number 10, and it's me, and it's Timothy Gordon, and Tim, after tonight, that's it. We've got 40-something pages left in the entire book, and it's we did it. We got through the whole thing. Wow. I like more like an accomplishment to get through the first half, but, man, the second half's flown. Uh, it's flown right by. And I, I think maybe it's because... The first half, I mean, the first um, the first 300 pages, we were reading 100 to 80 pages at a time. I think, and I, I, want, I didn't want to do anything smaller than that because I thought, well, with a 600-page book, it's going to take us all summer to read it. But I got to say, since we started taking 40 to 50-page chunks out at a time, uh, it has been a lot less stressful, and we're, yeah. we're, talking, we're picking up on a lot more... Um, a lot more detail with each other too. Yeah, easier to read and easier to do the analysis that uh, good readers like to do. In, indeed, indeed. And so I guess just we've been opening up with general thoughts when we start these broadcasts. What do you think the general theme of this this segment, the second to last segment was in reading it? I hate to be a broken record. I still don't understand the mind of the Slavic Pope. That's the general theme. Yes. I don't get him. Yes, I know. How about you? Uh, the, uh, same thing. I am uh, my curiosity as to what he's waiting for and what he's going to see. Uh, what he is uh, what he's going to receive here. I, I, I know that here, even in these very late stages in the book, people like Father Chris are asking the same questions. You know, I, I just don't understand this Pope. Um, but there are once again quite a few breadcrumbs in this segment of pages that uh, offers up maybe not uh, not a clue or nothing that forgives him on a, uh, a dogma end the that end of things of course as we were talking about it's you know you can't just choose not to act but on a human-to-human, flawed human end to understand what happened to a person and his position he is, those breadcrumbs are still out there, I think. So, um, and the opening of this... Where's my book? Oh, here it is. So the opening of this segment is the gathering. We are here in this gathering in Rome. So you have all these people that are coming in from all over the world, this... uh, these these cardinals these bishops they're from all over the world they're 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 coming here this great consistory in the lead up to the pope's pilgrimage to russia and ukraine and it talks about they're going through how how progressive the cardinals are and how they're showing up and they're doing things to give really uh, exotic displays of diversity so that are tailor made for tabloid tabloid headlines and uh, and rhapsodies and all that stuff so of course some some people are showing up with their female their female um entourages altar girls stuff like that and then on page 567 uh the author malachi martin gives us a little bit of something there to talk to give you an idea of just how hold on just how balkanized the event is He says, upon a recent time, once upon a recent time, anyone attending these Catholic 
uh, any Catholic Mass anywhere in the world, had been confident in his understanding and worship. Language and vestments, gestures and movements had all been redolent with the same identical uh, motive and meaning. Now, however, Mass had to do with local tribal traditions, local political ideologies, and not infrequently, local sensual pathologies. The Mass said by the Slavic Pope in St. Peter's Basilica bore no resemblance at all to the so-called Dignity Mass celebrated in the same hour in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or to the Liberation the liberation mask taking pl- t- mass taking place in the base communities at Sao Paulo, Brazil, or the goddess Gaia mass chanted at the Archdiocese of Seattle. So, he's, so we, we get another view and another uh, perspective of just how balkanized it has all become. So that's, that's, that's that. Um, anything you have there? Well, I mean, that's that's the issue in essence, really, is just that Catholic lowercase c means universal. And uh, prior to the conciliar changes, you know, um, of this one council, there have been 21 councils, ecumenically speaking, in the history of the church, 21 centuries, 21 councils that just happens to average out one per century. And Catholic lowercase c means universal the liturgy had always been universal even though there are different rites so the idea of having a um a split within one right the majority right the roman right where you get the novus ordo mass and the in the old traditional latin mass and the traditional latin masses universal you know catholic lowercase c you can go anywhere anytime any place north or south continent east or west whatever and you're going to get the same mass and it's even going to be in the the dead language of ecclesiastical latin which is beautiful because then you don't get neologisms and and um changes in meaning that that come along with neologisms you know are you talking gay from the 19th century or are you saying gay 20th century that kind of stuff right um but then in the other half of the roman right they're like 23 rites the roman rites the only one that has a high form and a low form the other half of the Roman Rite, the ordinary Rite, the Novus Ordo, now it's just totally goofy. You go to Mass in Germany, it's going to be totally different from Mass in Poland. It's going to be faithful in Poland, not in Germany. It's just, it makes no sense. That's what he's addressing there, Martin. And it's a just a fact of post-conciliar life. Wow. Yeah, that that, came, that became perfectly... Um, it, it was right there on the open in these in these passages here, and then right afterwards, right afterwards, as they're describing the fervor that is building up in Rome at the time, we do have yet another reference to what is the Pope building toward. And five sixty eight, he says right here. Uh, let's see here. Uh, it seemed to papal intimates, like Sadowski, Gladstone, and Slattery, as though unmindful of the sharp cracks and lethal fissures. In the wall of Catholicism being papered over by the Boham, uh, the Boham uh, going on around him, the Pope had his eyes fixed on some North Star visible only to him. So again, it's just, what is he all about? And he understands, I, whatever the understanding is, it's known only to him. And as we yeah. go farther into the reading, we start hearing and we start seeing uh, and we get it from him directly that he's going to Kiev, he's going to Ukraine, he's going to Russia. While all of the rats are home to play on this stuff, 
play and try to find a way to get him out, he's going out there and he's going to keep an open eye for a sign from Our Lady. And that's 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 all he's doing. He doesn't have a plan. He's just looking for a sign now. And um, we'll get to that, obviously. But that's where we are headed with all this. Now, yeah, what I mean, it, like, look, our Lord in, instructed in this in Scripture and everything, all Christians to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And so as we fall to the waning pages, the, the closing pages of this book, it's just appearing less and less likely to the shrewd reader that JP2 is ever going to emerge uh, wise as a serpent, you know? What you, you think he's just going to be this... What I was waiting for is him to emerge as the... He's been gentle as a dove for his entire pontificate, but now in the last pages of Windswept House, he's going to show the fangs and have set up all these based Justice Clarence Thomas moves, you know? Yeah. And it just... it. It doesn't seem like that. It's it's great to go to. I mean, I'm a huge devotee of, of Fatima. Go to Fatima. Wait for a sign. He's the direct representative. You know, he's the the vicar of Christ, not just the vicar of Peter. Blah blah blah. But I I was hoping in that address. I know that's the end of our reading tonight. I ain't trying to skip there. But I was hoping he was gonna like send out bolts of lightning. You know, that are subtly. Lane, a la Edmond Dantes in Count of Monte Cristo, and there's just nothing. You know, he's just like, oh, just pray for me, and then he pieces out. He pray for me, but he also he also challenged. I can definitely tell as the reader, you can definitely tell what are veiled uh, encouragements for the cardinals and all the people he knows who are working against him to really, really uh, examine what they have committed themselves to. And, uh, and 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 I guess a little bit more universal with his tone. I th- I thought that the most bomb dropping scene is the one that was coming up, where he he goes into this meeting just with the cardinals, and that is where he reveals the two encyclicals that Slattery helped yeah. him from uh, uh, put together. And then again, yeah. I, so that was really the the big bomb there's a couple of little things here too and uh, god there's so much that has to ha- be done in the last 40 pages so um but yeah that's that's where we are that's on 568 now yeah in 569 ish right around there um uh, we have this luca damo meeting with gladstone this starts 568 goes into 569 the pages and they're chatting about how the snakes have everything set how they have the meeting of the cardinals in Rome while the Pope is away. Uh, Palumba and company, they can do whatever they please. Pretty much that whole when the cat is away, the mice will play situation. But a little bit more than that, they have the, the, the common mind vote that they said that they can use to whip votes of all of the cardinals. They have the resignation protocol in place. And now Gladstone and Lucadamo are worried that there may be an assassination in play. Because they only have the resignation for this one time and one time only. So there's something about this Russia trip that they're going to try to find a reasonable way to declare the Pope incapacitated. And um, and then again we have in 570, around 570, is where we have the Pope's mission clearly stated again. Where is it? Um, Gladstone heaved a great sigh. It sounded to him as if the Pope was almost eager to be gone. And then here we have, again, all of the, 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 
talk about Fatima. No, Lukadamo turned suddenly pensive. His attitude has to do with Fatima. He expects the Blessed Virgin to give him some sign of God's will on this pilgrimage. I'm not sure what that means. Some indication of Christ's will for his pontificate, I imagine, and for the church. But whatever it is, His Holiness is confident. He told me in so many words that no matter what motives anyone else may have, whatever motivated the governments involved to invite him, and whatever motivates Mastroianni and the others, they have all made the pilgrimage possible in God's providence. Those were his words, Christian, in God's providence. Absolutely speaking, Gladstone knew the pontiff was right. Ultimately, everything is part of God's providence. Given recent history, however, he was troubled beyond telling to think that His Holiness might do, uh, uh, to, to, to think what His Holiness might do with what God has provided. So there's, once again, uh, Christian's confusion as to how far is this Pope going to go. But as far as what the Pope's mission is, he is uh, he's leaving it just up to the will of heaven uh he does not know what's coming next so but yeah. but but then again there was very meticulous planning as to the state he left rome in when he left uh he's got everybody in one place for he understands he understands what kind of advantage he has given to the rats so there's planning in that respect but as far as the the supernatural uh the supernatural payoff he really does not know what's coming his way yeah, I just realized when you're reading that passage, in God's providence, uh, they all have this, uh, in God's providence, those were his words, Christian, in God's providence. As you read that, Frank, I realized, or maybe remembered from a couple weeks back, the literary device that Martin is using in, within the character of Christian. Because he, he's just us. He, every time you or I express like exasperation at uh at the slavic pope's ambivalence on everything you know he's a little bit hot a little bit cold a little bit modernist a little bit traditional that is jp2 by the way but we uh i'll talk about it that reading and then i'll have forgotten a passage like this one where christian gladstone is giving he's intoning that exact uh perspective so that that's it right there it's like well uh, even the next paragraph where he's like, absolutely speaking, you know, Christian knows the, the pontiff was right, absolutely speaking, but it seems like he's, yeah, everything's in God's providence, and it's real, particularly in the mind of a of a holy pope. Mm. But as applied, Christian's wanting to see more tacticianship or whatever. It's just exactly what I said before. And so me and you keep going, we do this dance where I'll say that or you'll say that. You're like, man, I just don't know what what cards JP2 is holding here. And then we'll see a passage where Christian says the exact same thing from, from the first hundred pages to now, it, right? Nothing has changed. He, he intones what the reader's thinking. And if, if we were going to switch out all of their, their, their positions, like if we were to switch out Christian or slattery with the Pope, let's say that JP two was just Christian. He was just a Monsignor and, or he was uh, you know, a member of the Dominican order or something like that. And any one of Christian and slattery were in the, uh, in the Slavic Pope's position, you know, from their, from how they have addressed each other, from how they want to see things going and, and their own personal, uh, their own personalities, they would be, they would be a little bit more of those, uh, 
the, the tacticians in the battlefield, and they would be making big moves, um, big overt, very public moves. Whereas it seems that this uh, this pope is is taking a agonizingly subtle spiritual approach to yeah. to bring about some sort of end game that um, we we'll see. I guess we will. Um, now, on page 572 to 573 is where I said, is where he has the meeting with the Cardinals right before he leaves, and he kind of does a, uh, he, he reveals the encyclical letters, and this is where I thought was the biggest boom. Uh, yeah. I, I thought that the, the speech to not only, not only the, the, the men of the church, but also the people of the church, I thought that speech was very eloquent, and I thought it was very... I was definitely gripped by it, knowing just knowing what what is going on in his mind before he leaves to go to Russia, and you can you can see how much the people love him. But the organization has been so tainted; uh, it's it's just ridiculous. But here it is. Exactly ten o'clock, the Slavic Pope arrived. He walked slowly but firmly to his place as the presider over the assembly. In gestures that became familiar to most of the world, he saluted all the eminent cardinals and all the eminent guests with a wave of his right hand and a smiling face. Then he got around. Venerable brothers, the Holy Father turned over to, to, to the cover of his folder. I have three documents to present to you for consideration. The first two are letters of instruction from the Universal Church, the Church Universal. The uh, third contains a canonical modification of existing church legislation regulating the papacy. Uh, those words as a preamble, His Holiness proceeded to turn his address to the first section. So here you have the first one is the um, the letter declaring the church's bans on contraception, homosexual activity, and all form of Satanist observation uh, observance to be infallible teachings. Violation would entail the pain of automatic excommunication. Then the second letter which declared it to be dogma of Roman Catholic faith that all supernatural aid from God in the traditional language of the church, all divine grace, come through a special function granted to the Blessed Virgin Mary as the mother of Christ. She was therefore to be revered as mediatrix of all graces. And then, of course, there is the talking about the um, the resignation letter and how it's a one-off. So that right there I thought would be ground shaking for everybody who's sitting in the in the room uh but of course Mastriani in the very next very next um chapter is just kind of like happy with the the position that they're in and obviously they have no real um intention of getting letting those encyclicals see the light of day and they're really hoping that he's going to meet his end in Russia so that's that's the end of that chapter altogether yeah, they they seem kind of underreactive, don't they? Like yeah. I I thought those were bombs, and and I I thought they were going to react more. Um, but I guess they're just planning to nullify. Um, but one really really quick points, just so people out there reading it uh, aren't like, why does he have to declare uh, dogmatically? It's an ex cathedra statement that like acts of Satanism. Are automatic excommunications and um, contraception and homosexuality. He's just reaffirming there are different levels of magisterial teaching. He's saying from from the chair ex cathedra, the highest level, that this that these are basically dogmatic teachings. So he's vouchsafing them, and then he attaches to them um, something that's called 
<clears throat> a late sententiae excommunication, which is uh, an excommunication that happens by its own force. The real Pope John Paul II, this is, this is uh, just an a definition by example, Frank, made a late sententiae excommunication uh, the year before he died. Uh, and he was, he'd lost a lot of his mind by then um, to Parkinson's. In 2004, he attached a late sententiae excommunication to um, cardinals at conclaves, this is very important, who canvass openly and who, who, who canvass for a certain pope. They're allowed to stump or caucus for a pope, but they're not allowed to have canvassed beforehand and the pope's not allowed to have said beforehand, yeah, I'll, if you canvass for me, I'll take the job. This is very important that there's a late sententiae excommunication because it means it happens automatically. You don't need the College of Cardinals to get together to declare the excommunication. Hmm. And some people think, Vigano is one of them, that this is what was happening at the 2013 conclave with the Sant'Golan Mafia. And uh, Bergoglio uh, hmm. was, was essentially canvassing, and there's some indication in the first edition of the Vaticanista, the personal biographer of uh, Pope Francis. Uh, he's, he's a real real piece of work. Uh, he wrote a book called The Great Reformer. And uh, he said in the first edition of that book that they canvassed for Francis and Francis accepted, which would have incurred that late sententiae excommunication from 2004. They pulled the books off the shelves that weekend and they came out with a, a second edition, and they pulled that line. And uh, this is a, a lefty, a big fan of Francis. So uh, uh, wow. in the book, The Great Reform. So late I'm just telling you, late sententiae excommunications are, are a big deal. You, you were right to say this is a boom. And then the other thing on the Mediatrix of All Graces, this was supposed to be the fifth Marian dogma. We have the four Marian dogmas, right? The latter two declared... Uh, by the by, by two piouses in the 1850s and then the 1950s, uh, the fifth one was supposed to be declared mediatrix of all graces at Vatican II. The liberal cardinals sort of vetoed it, pressured the Pope, and there's there's just a little footnote in one of the Vatican II sacred constitutions, I think Lumen Gentium, which JP2 helped to write. Uh, that says, we would have declared mediatrics of all graces, but this would have been further alienating to our separated brethren, which is a nice name for the Protestants. So it's it, it, what this would be JP2 doing, it is a bombshell, would be him kind of making up for a mistake that he made at the council by by declaring it dogmatically ex cathedra, mediatrics gotcha. of all graces. And it, it's a teaching that goes all the way back 2,000 years. Hmm. It's just never been dogmatically defined. So, well, a couple, uh, couple of highlights there. Yeah. I, well, thank, thankfully, all this is recorded, and there, it's going to be very well archived because I'd love to go back and listen to all this one day and actually have it all sink in. It's really interesting stuff. It really is. And oh, and you know what? The end of that chapter, the end of that chapter, I forgot. It was really the, something else here. Um, Gladstone is pulled away right before he actually hears the last things that the Pope says to all of the cardinals that are there hanging out with him, getting all these booms read, it off, read off to him. He gets pulled away because he gets the, the notice that Declan, little Decky, Deckel, his, his nephew is, has been trapped in a cave-in while he was spelunking. 
So the, it, it starts... Now, this was something really incredible because it came around... It came around to being the thing where we are wondering, is this how Christian is able to bring about Paul's redemption? And we have this whole thing here. He's getting... Uh, he has this spelunking accident. He's trapped in this cave somewhere. They don't know if he's alive or dead. Um... And then it leads to Paul having his first valid confession in over 15 years. And there's a lot of grief, a lot of it. Things that we've all thought, all thought or said, questioning our faith, feeling alone when something horrible is just happening. Um, but then there's this great line where they're yelling back and forth or he's yelling. And then Christian is just trying to, he, he finally has had enough and he's throwing it back at Paul. There's this great line over here. Um, uh, let me see here. Let's see. Okay. Well, here's what here's what Paul said. So maybe you're right after all, Chris. Maybe God put this child of ours into our hands, you size and mine, saying, this is your gift from me. Take good care of him. And maybe now God is saying, if you can't do any better than that, I've decided to take him from you. Stripped of all his own defenses, Paul was reduced to naked agony. Tell me, what am I to do? I'd willingly die to save to save little Deckel. If that's what God wants, is that what it takes, Chris? Would that placate this God who now who now seems to be taking his gift of a son? Uh, what does he want of me? Tell me. And Christian, I thought his response was amazing. Yeah, amazing. Especially this one. He says, "Have you been listening to yourself, Paul? Have you been listening to the questions you've asked me?" Why is God withdrawing his gift, you ask? Well, my, uh, well, try turning that question around. Tell me, Paul, what should God, what, why should God leave his gift with you? You took the gift and forgot the giver. That one, I, that, I said, oh, Good. Good whoa, shit. wow. Good yeah. <laughs> that yeah. really hit. Um, what in heaven's name have you done for God except spit in his face? And it comes around, it comes around, he has his first valid confession in a long time. But this pops up, and I want to ask you. Uh, he said this, Paul paced back and forth beside, uh, beside Bernard's helicopter. Now, this is uh, Bernard, the, uh, who is brought in. His name is Regis, I forget, Regis Bernard. He was pretty much called in by Luca Damo as an expert in spelunking and, and rescue missions in this case. So they had a really awesome guy come in to help work the small chance that they can get Deckel out alive. And as he's getting ready, Paul and Chris are taking care of each other. And he says, I don't even know if you have the necessary confessional faculties. I mean, I remember from my seminary days that there are certain sins that not every priest is authorized to forgive. Go ahead, Tim. What does that mean? I did not know this. Well, at the time this was written, the main one I know, I think, a, let's see, the main one that's now famous that required your local ordinary, which is usually your bishop, to forgive or a special dispensation from the bishop or ordinary for a priest to forgive um, um, would be abortion. And Francis changed it so that every priest everywhere on the face of the earth, every consecrated Catholic priest can offer full, uh, full uh, expiation for abortion. He changed that in 2017. So when it, 
very day appropriate, right? That's the one I know. There's some other ones. There's automatic excommunication for striking your ordinary or striking the person of the Pope that, that I don't know if that, that rule's on point. It doesn't really apply to most people. So abortion's the main one. Hmm. Okay. All right. Change now. Yeah, Change. Well, the, well, he says he says he has all the... Um, what he said? He said yeah, he has to be cleansed of his sins and culmination of blah, blah, blah. blah. Just... Oh, and masonry. That's why he asked it. They just It just sat on me. Ma to, you okay. have to go through this whole rite. Or previous, there's a Pius the Tenth, based Pius the Tenth, one of the most based popes. I have this clock of the 12 Piuses up here. It's a round clock. I'll have to show it to you sometime. I also bought one for Taylor Marshall. Uh, you know, all 12 hours are first hours, Pius one, Pius hmm. two, the three o'clock position. That's Pius cool. Because the Piuses are so based, you know, Pius five, Pius 10, Pius 11, who wrote Quadragesimo. You're really going to be, you're bed. really going to be screwed if there's ever a Pius the 13th. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, but that's the joke is Pius the 13th has to be based, so. Yeah, I'll take it. But, but uh, so Pius the Tenth had this whole oath against modernism and a whole rigorous uh, right to uh, go through if you or, or anyone within two generations of your family fucked around with the Freemasons and were were members. So uh, that I think required that might have previously or perhaps still required your bishop or ordinary to get you out of the, the kinds well, of... Well, that's definitely why Paul's asking then, because he's not... That's it. He hasn't yeah. gotten a, an abortion. Right. That, I, I don't know why that didn't land on me before, but I just remember that now. Okay, yeah. so that, that makes a lot of sense there. So that's... There you go. So five, 578, he, he, um, he, the specialist comes in and, and Paul wonders if Chris can even absolve him of some sins, and Chris says, yes, he's he has the authority to do all that. Now... Um, 579, here is another indictment, at least of by the author, Tim, of uh, Mastriano's faith, or lack thereof. It's the beginning of that segment on 579, that section. Had Cardinal Mastriani been a believer, okay, <laughs> had he been a believer, he would have thought at the hand of God that the Slavic Pope had caved in one more time and named him to the office of Camerlengo. So, um... As he leaves, he, he leaves Messeriani in charge, knowing that he's a snake, uh, that he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And, um, and, and of course, there is another reference to the spiritual standing of Messeriani. So even though they didn't find him, uh, and then when, when, well, we'll get to that in just a second. Let me see. Um, even though they didn't find him in any of the enthronement literature, Later on in this chapter, I think even Chris is, you know, um, is perturbed as to how much worse the situation really is for all the prelates and how many how many more enemies of Christ are really in the church because he knows that Mastroianni is up to no good, but he's been left out of all these lists that he's coming by in later right. later in the chapter. So uh, even in this official documentation that they're that they're looking for and trying to figure out just how bad things are, there's probably so many more that aren't even listed. Uh, it, people of important, you know, great import. So there you have it. Um, now, they're getting ready for the Shoah concert, and I thought it was really interesting that Malachi Martin uh, mentions the, the Fazzini sculpture. Uh, this is, I believe, the most hideous, diabolical-looking thing I've ever seen in my life, Tim. 
uh, and the fact that it's supposed to look like Christ's resurrection from a nuclear holocaust, it's just absolutely weird. Anybody I've ever shown it to has said, that's at the Vatican? What is this this horror film I'm looking at here? So I, uh, I, th I thought that it was interesting that Malachi brought it up, um, and it was really just a mention. So, yeah, yeah, so glancing blow. Also, the 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 um, the building that it's in, the Paul the Sixth Center or whatever. Have you seen that? It's it's shaped like a snakehead. The snakehead. From certain angles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 you can't see it and then unsee it. You know. I know. I know. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, man, it really does. Uh, it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder the people that it's it's named for when it was all constructed, why it came in, what was going on behind the scenes at the time. Talk about the council. Yeah, council, dude. What? I mean, they were having something called shadow council. At I, I didn't know this when I went to the Greg, you know, the the pontifical Jesuit University there in Rome, right near Trevi Fountain, where I I got a degree from there. I didn't know that, but they would meet in the aula of the Greg at night many of the nights, many of the weeks during that three and a half year long council, Vatican II, the, the, the bad guys would, they'd replan and they'd read scheme and they called it shadow council. So, so much of this midnightly skullduggery was happening during the council and it's right after the council, you get the Paul the Sixth Center and then you get that weird, what, what did you say that artist's name was again? Fizzini. The, yeah, have well, you ever looked at his other art, Frank? No. It's, it's creepy it's like masonic illuminati stuff and they they commissioned this dude pericle p-e-r-i-c-l-e fazzini's enormous bronze sculpture the largest in the world he'd been told splayed across the back of the nervy stage he w he couldn't take his eyes off the sculpture chris couldn't its naked figures leaned forward as if to snatch everything up in the sera, uh, in the Zareba and the branch-like arms and fingers. This is how I knew exactly what he was talking about. Um, yeah. the, 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 the description, the arms and fingers and indiscriminate masses of bronze, uh, irresistible, in their, um, irresistible in their flailing and rising, reaching and pointing, it seemed the perfect symbol of Shoah, the perfect symbol of human life, always on the edge of chaos and destruction. And um, I that that is when I said, "Whoa, okay." So I looked it up again, and that's the first time that I ever saw it documented that this was supposed to be some sort of an invocation of um, nuclear holocaust Im imagery. I, I just yeah. it's just so off-putting this bronze statue. Yeah, why would why would anyone commission that? The nuclear holocaust. It's like it's not even just traditional John's apocalypse, you know, John's revelation imagery, which is creepy enough. A lot of the the beautiful churches in Florence and Rome have creepy paintings on the wall of of demons, you know, who are allegedly if you listen to Lucy of Fatima turning in burnished bronze. Like if you want to go creepy but faithful, there's tons of that stuff in Italy, but this is nouveau, you know, this is new age and, and it, it's clearly not sacred art. Yeah. Sacred art can be dark. Sacred art can't be whatever that thing is. Everyone should go look at. I'm putting it on screen right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I have to turn my look, head. To the look at that. I mean, it, it's just a monstrosity. It's it, a, it really is a monstrosity. It's demonic. It's demonic. And like you said, the fact that it is planted in the center of this room where the entire building 
has seemingly been constructed to to resemble the the head of a cobra snake where the, the fangs and everything that come down in it's just incredible so um so yeah 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 there's 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 that and wow okay so moving on from there moving on from there uh where do we have okay so 383 383 um and hello to i'm just want to say quick shout out to in to woody nick and Anne marie 171 in d live uh jerry coogan proactive flailer ernest charlie and mickey um a uh, whole bunch of people that are watching on uh quite frankly tv we'll just get into the rest of this all right, so that was on five. Now, 583 is where we get that last bit of what the Pope said to the Cardinals when Chris was pulled away because of the news of the cave-in with Deckel. And here's what he said. Uh, Slattery told him, he says, I remember every word, and you will too, Chris. Upon, he, here's the quote. Upon my return to Rome on May 13th, he said, and before your eminences leave for your home diocese, this month we will have the College of Cardinals. Plan the interpretation of all official documents of the Second Vatican Council in order to bring them into line with the traditional teaching of the Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church. That's a bombshell. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's what he says. The, the cardinals were literally dumb with shock, and so was I. You could have heard a pin drop on the velvet cushion. You could have heard a pin drop on a velvet cushion. That's what Slattery told Chris. So now... What does that mean to bring official documents of Second Vatican Council in order uh, to bring them into um, into line with traditional teachings? What what does that mean? So <clears throat> there are four sacred constitutions from the. This is like you know I'm a constitutional jurisprude for the U.S. Constitution. I tell people all the time whether it's a sacred or a secular constitution, we want to be originalists. The um, the four sacred constitutions of Vatican II, the documents, are actually, even though I'm a trad, trads get mad at me when I say this, you read them and they're not that bad. Now, there's a famed bad guy at the council, one of the libs, named uh, Skillabix, and he said, he intones this perfectly, he says, we made the documents vague enough so that they're technically not, you know, ruled out. They're not precluded doctrinally, but we knew what we were going to do with them at the time. Now, the um, one of the four sacred documents, the first one that was promulgated but long before the close of the council, which closed in 65, right? It's 1963, is Sacrosanctum Concilium. This is the one that in broad terms said we're going to update the mass. We're going to essentially um, convene a... Uh, like a congressional subcommittee between 1965 and 1970 over the next five years to take the broad terms of Sacrosanctum Concilium on what the new mass would be. The terms are not bad. It's not this fruity thing, ghastly monstrosity that we see in most Novus Ordo parishes today, which is basically just a, you know, Cranmer tables is basically just, you know, a Protestant ceremony. Mm. Um, it's not that at all. It just sounds it sounds pretty good, and that's how they got guys like the SSPX founder Archbishop Lefebvre to sign it, because Sacrosanctum Concilium in 1965 is not that bad. Now, Paul VI over the next five years 
uh, convened uh, the subcommittee led by this guy who's, we think, uh, uh, what's his name, Anibale Bunini, a priest, who's essentially found out to be a practicing Freemason, uh, to lead the subcommittee to actually write the particulars of the Novus Ordo. And um, Novus Ordo Seclorum, right? And Ratzinger, the way the story goes, is in 68... 1968, Ratzinger went to uh, Paul VI and he said, "This guy's nuts." On this communio, it's called uh, it's called concilium. On this concilium council, he's giving us basically just a Protestant worship service. And Paul VI said, "No, pound sand. This is my guy. I'm sticking with him." Uh, so Ratzinger and a bunch of his guys leave. They go form another mini post-conciliar council called communio. And they're not real conservatives. They're a bunch of sort of semi-conservatives like Ratzinger or John Paul II. Hmm. So there's Concilium and, and Communio. Um, Anabali Bonini writes the new mass. It's released in like right around Christmas of 69. And people are like, this is whack. This is crazy. But what he'd done is he's essentially writing the new mass in very, very, very broad signposts from the Vatican document called Sacrosanctum Concilium. So what's needed to be happening, that Ratzinger was supposed to do as Benedict XVI, John Paul was supposed to do it, they were very slow, was the reform of the reform. Take the wacky, ugly monstrosity of the Novus Ordo Mass and bring it more into conformity with Sacrosanctum Concilium, which was broad, but not, not bad. It didn't change the Latin Mass that much. And uh, that never really happened, aside from a few meager little... Um, undoings of the worst parts of the change so that's what they're referring to there okay that's interesting for the long you, you see this is why this is why i was saying uh, his farewell speech was incredible but yeah. it was more so of a challenge for everyone to examine themselves and you know you know knowing what you, you what you whatever you take away with it it was a few pages long so i didn't want to read the whole thing but it was great but this this private meeting the encyclicals and of course, this last passage that Chris wasn't able to hear because he had to be pulled away, that was the real bomb. You know, the the public thing, you have to imagine he was always gonna keep it nice and universal for people and, and just uh, crowd service and, and throw some veiled remarks to people who need to hear it around him, the Cardinals who are obviously dabbling with the darkness. But then comes the Kiev trips, now he leaves. He makes his, his goodbye, he gets into his plane and he takes off. Wait, can I ask you something real quick? Yeah. Just your opinion. Why do you think he keeps apologizing in the public speech? Like, why does he keep saying, oh, I'm weak, I'm this, I'm that? Is he trying to appease, the, you know, the, the masses with the universal thing? Or do you think he's apologizing to the slatteries and the Father Chris Gladstones of the world that want him to be tougher? I, I didn't get that. I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I, I did not, it didn't catch my eye, and I haven't formed an opinion on it. Do you have any... Any passages we can look at? He and apologizes like three times. I counted them. Uh, so where where the hell is it? Uh, I'm game is here. Uh, yeah. Here. So I'm still in the uh, where you were reading. Uh, he, he's around I'm five. Not playing with my phone. This is how I have my book. I have I a hard copy over there. But uh, he's around know. five. Like he's he, he's doing the speech around five eighty six, five eighty seven. Yeah. Um, let me see. But the first time. I I mean he's saying all this universal stuff that sounds like he's truckling to 
the bishops with, you know, just being one bishop among many bishops. He goes, I've treated with my bishops as with brother bishops, with my priests as with brother priests, with other Christians as with separated brethren, brethren, that's Protestants, uh, and sisters as with elders of my, uh, as with the elders of my faith family. That's a nice way of saying the Jews. With my Muslim brothers and sisters as with my co-believers in one God, with those other, so I mean, he's being nice and universalist and ecumenic here um, other religious persuasions I've acted as one who uh, sees in the religiosity and the pious uh, piety to the delicate hand of the Holy Spirit disposing them for Christ's salvation just so apologetic which is the mark of his pontificate with those who profess godlessness I've spoken nonetheless as one who knows they belong to a human life as fellow human beings even with those who profess hatred for all I stand for and for the church itself I've extended the blessing of Peter in the hope that our mutually shared humanity can be a bridge for mutual acceptability and understanding as members of the human race. Be my judges then. Can anyone reproach your Pope for having repulsed any advance or proposal of genuine love and fraternal friend? I just don't know who he's trying to win. Is it? Yeah. I, I couldn't tell which poll he was trying to Yeah, because because everything you're saying right there, these, these, this ecumenism, uh, the, that, that kind of secular approach to everything, that would be appeasing to people. Uh, yeah. it, definitely appeasing to the people that that are are you know nipping at his heels right now, uh, and of course you can tell by the end of the speech. Actually, wherever he goes around the world, he is just so high, so deeply loved. Um, yeah. The the churches were overflowing in Kiev, uh, right there in Rome. People you know uh, screaming his praises. It's uh, yeah. I, I I just wonder. I I just wonder. I don't I don't know. I don't know because it's uh, it just I don't know. Uh, in the chat room, Jerry Coogan just says, "Sure," uh, he said, um, "Where the hell is it?" Oh, well, I, what I can't get my head around is what do all these luminaries of the church actually believe? I mean, they're supposed they're supposedly men of faith, but what is their faith? Well, that's what we're that's what we're starting to see here, um, especially that it becomes more blatantly satanic. There is a a transaction that's been made. Now, how does it get there? How does it start? I mean, we, we've talked about that as well, too. But they're obviously looking at the um, an opportunity to seize a very powerful organization for their own. They're looking at it. Obviously, there's a spiritual aspect. There's, there's a spiritual communion going on here. But they're also looking at it from a very, very big acquisition, a business standpoint. It's a It's huge. It's the it's a business that controls uh, banking to a large part, so much property, so much land, the hearts and minds of a, of a, about a billion people, and uh, and it's just there's just there, and we know that they're looking for power both in this in this realm and others. So it, I, I don't know. It's just very, the the magnetism level is just so high. Who knows? It just could be anything but the kev trip it's going on and here comes this monsignor along the rat the mole that's been put in onto the trip is monsignor jan michalik if that's how you say it michalik or whatever he's the mole he's the one who's supposed to be the one that declares the pope the slavic pope incompetent when he eventually who they're hoping breaks down on this very rigorous schedule, but he's fighting through it and he's not going down to the point where you know where Miklik is almost feeling uh, you know 
I'll get you eventually. Like he's just like a vulture. Um, but then 591, we get that again, the end game. It was not enough. It was, but it was not enough in his constant resistance to his enemy's pressure that he resigned. The Slavic Pope had run out of alternatives. In his estimation, everything depended now on the will of heaven and the powerful intercession of the mother of God. So he's really just going from place to place, hoping that something big and undeniable happens. And we don't know what that is because neither does he. So um, we're getting to the end here, though, because around 593, it's diary time. It's it is diary time. Uh, we they find the diary finally. I mean, around here too, you have Mikulik once again, who's forever forever hovering in the background. He spoke of victory in the excited crowds of believers, and blah blah blah. He's like a vulture. He wants the the, the Pope to just drop so he can tell Mastriani, hey, this guy is he has been completely, he's outdone himself and he he can't function anymore. You need to invoke the resignation protocol. Uh, and boom. But the diary, they found it in the archives. Christian did. And it is a real, real important situation here because he gets to go and he gets to check out the enthronement documents that got Father Aldo killed. And you can see that in 594, there's a lot of detailed information there. Um, and that's where we start getting this this idea or the question, has the Slavic Pope seen this before? Right. Has he seen it? Um, uh, I, it, it's just it becomes more and more confusing we get so much here here we are on, on 594 um, in close herewith the Pope had written I guess that's Paul VI in close yeah, herewith yeah, yeah he, he had placed a list of those among our Lord's Cardinal our Lord's Cardinal and other personnel who have been freely joined have freely joined the Masonic craft together with a detailed ritual enacted on June 29th 1963 uh, let's see here in the Capella Paulina during which the fallen archangel was enthroned specifically as the prince ascending to power and according to the plans and prophecies of the enlightened ones it has not been given to us under un, uh, to undo it has not been given to us to undo this enthronement. This is the thing that gets here. Right. We have neither the bodily health nor the spiritual strength, nor are we worthy to be chosen for such a task. Uh, for our sins in this august office have been too great. We have been forgiven. We believe and we will be purified by God's hand in the passage of our death. But we are no longer trusted as responsible. Therefore, commit to the commit the enclosed to our lawful successor in this holy Roman office of the apostle. We do this believing firmly in the resurrection of the body, in the last judgment, and the eternal life. Amen. But what they're pretty much saying here is that um, no pope will be able to govern the church through the Vatican until the enthronement is undone. But at the same time, they're saying that they don't have the power to undo the enthronement. And then what the and, and if that's the case, what's the availing time? Do they need to do the enthronement, uh, the uh, the uh, the enthronement, or they, do they just need to stall enough for the hourglass to be drained of all of its sand? And then the enthronement is just what poof it goes up in the air. Is it nullified by time? I it, it's confusing to me. But Chris feels like he he needs to get this to the Slavic Pope, and now yeah. they start. Um, 
putting together plans for a clandestine trip of his. So what you can take away from this? Because the finding of the do- diary, the finding of the documents in correlation to the diary, is a big plot point that we were waiting to fu- to see. Yeah, and it's never quite clear. I I wasn't sure what Martin was saying about Paul the Sixth, right? I mean, he sounds like he's in on it at the beginning. I mean, Chris Slattery keeps rereading the old Pope's letter. Sounds like he's in on it in the first few lines, but then after that, he's talking like like a normal prince of the church saying, you know, we believe and we'll be purified by God's hand in the passage or our death, but, we, you know, we're guilty, we're no longer... Tra- I, so that's what I was just trying to figure out is, is Martin saying that Paul VI was in on it? No, I don't think he was, right? What did I, you I think about that? I, don't, I, I, don't, I finished this right before we went live, so I was like, what I is I don't think this? so either. I, I didn't take that as well. I thought maybe just it was ineffe- ineffectual, ineffectual Pope, um, but here he is passing this thing along, professing his faith, but at the same time uh, letting people know, whoever their successors are, what they're getting themselves into and what kind of shape everything's in. And oh, I, again on 595, it seems like Chris starts to understand again maybe understand the pope's predic- the slavic pope's predicament from yet another angle even though he obviously he has his own thoughts on on what you should just do out of you know, the strength of your own will and just do it anyway but still he says again more significantly it would account for the astonishing speed of the deterioration of the roman catholic church structure right Chris right. had always found it to be inexplicable that within a short span of 50 years, a fairly definable time that had stretched from the, cl- from the close of the Vatican Council in 1965 to the end of the 70s, a solid, vibrant church structure had been liquidated. It had been as if, say, the Panama Canal had suddenly been emptied of water. Hmm. So, um, I mean, to, to see this, and for Chris, especially someone who doubts the Pope so much, um, to see this, I have to imagine he has a little bit more of an understanding of what he's up against. But um, and then we also see here again, 595. Uh, the fa- in fact, Christian realized with a shudder, the microfish. How do you say microfish? Fish? What is that? I I know the 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 yeah. the uh, thing that they're putting it into. I just don't know how to say that name. Yeah, microfish. People yeah. always say it's like from libraries in our childhood. Yeah. Uh, the old Stranger papers. Things libraries. Yeah. Yeah, where you put the old paper headlines in there, you can. I, I used it before. Um, yeah. In fact, Christian's realization with a shudder, the material lying before him might even explain what was going on among the men who were at this very moment clawing for the Peter for Peter's throne at the general consistory in Rome. Perhaps the data those fiches contained was yeah. the key to the inexplicable and corrosive hatred of a papal pretender like Cardinal. Palumbo and the watered-down Christianity of a uh, Papabi. How do you say that? Papabile, Papabile. Yeah, yeah Papi- Popable is what Popable. it means. Yeah, like I mean, literally, it means. Well, I was just gonna. I was thinking of doing a show on my channel. Who are, who are the five um, uh, most papabile, papabili, papabilissimi, the most popable of all the cardinals? I mean, Vegas takes betting odds on it. Wow. Well, there you have it. I mean, he's, that also gives you maybe a little bit more insight as to why the Slavic foth, uh, the Slavic Pope's faith. I, I, I said before what I believed what was going on with Mastroianni and the rest of them 
you know, uh, Apple Yard always asked, and I was hoping that Apple, and there's still 40 pages left, so I hope Apple Yard uh, pops up in this last bit here. But what Apple Yard was always wondering, why do they want to get rid of this guy so so badly when he's obviously so amenable and he's, he's so, you know, he could be molded and shaped and directed and, and manipulated. And, so, and even if he knows he's being manipulated, he just goes along with it. Um, why they want to get rid of him? And I, the only thing that I can come up with is that his faith is still intact. And that is just repulsive to these perfectly possessed people. What also suggests that if he should survive to the end of the availing time, then all of a sudden he'd start asserting himself. Could, because he is good. He does have a good heart. He does love Jesus. You know, just, that could be. I never considered that, that. Remember this distinction? I, I mean, I'd still like some more specifics on what the enforcement mechanism of the availing time are, Frank. Because it's like this distinction where you remember last time we talked about it, like, well, the Pope is, you know, no man judges the Pope. He's the total sovereign of the church in theory, but not in practice. It's like, does JP2 know this? Like, does the Slavic Pope know this? And that's why he's not trying to make strong assertions of himself anyway. Like, does he know about the availing time? And it, whether he does or he doesn't, what are the enforcement mechanisms? Why can no Pope... I'm just curious. Like, the interaction between the preternatural and the natural. What would Malachi <clears throat> Martin say about... What if the Pope tried to... You know, what if it was Pius the 13th, based Pius the Thirteenth, fictionally, and he was trying to govern the church like a trad like a base Chad trad during the availing time, what what would happen? Would he be struck down by a bolt of lightning from Satan? I, I, I just, am, it's left me wondering a lot more, more questions than answers. I know. I know me too. Me too. And, and you obviously have more pointed questions than I even do. Um, I, this is, this is it. So this is all going on. And, uh, you have, Little little hints of of course the 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 Pope is making his way through the uh, through uh, Ukraine and and getting on into Russia that 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 Monsignor Mikulik is watching him. Here's another passage right here. How was it then that he never seemed to tire? He's asking himself about the Pope. He thought he'd be like, you know, run down on it. He'd just give it time, Mikulik, he told himself, in an effort to calm his own mounting nerves. Tomorrow it's on to Khrushchev, then to St. Petersburg and Moscow. The crowds and the excitement and the tension are bound to take their toll. No man can stand such punishment. He'll break. It's just a matter of time. They want to get him down. So that so now it's just stay on your feet, sir. Just stay right. on your feet. Uh, good news, we hear that Dekel is alive. They were able to get him out from those caves, and he was brought to the hospital. There were some fatalities, but they were able to get him out alive. Now, then you have the end here um, where Christian is going through all of the stuff that is found in this document. He's reading through what people are saying about the the enthronement where they got all the information from apparently largely came from a deathbed confession from a Archbishop DG. Do you know who that could be? Who is Archbishop DG? They gave a deathbed confession about the enthronement and, and spilled the beans on all the names. Cause that's, that's what I was like, Oh, maybe Tim will know this in real life. Could that be, um, who the hell would that be? 
He no, said, that's no. I don't, and I don't remember that line either. He died. I remember the arch. Uh, I remember the confession. I don't remember getting a, a well, name. Well, let's I'm, see. Was, I'm going to put it into reading very carefully at the end. Oh, that, that's you got to read that that part there because this is this is really interesting because you know deathbed confessions are often entered into evidence as very highly credible. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So yeah, now absolutely. what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to to Google or whatever, and I'm going to put in Archbishop. Uh, is he in my character key that I or not mine, but is he in our working character key? I don't know. I didn't, I, I look up all new characters as I go. I just I, I finished this right before we went live, so I, uh, as I was listening to your show, in fact, I finished up the last ten pages. Um, I have here, dude. I typed in Archbishop, death, June thirtieth, nineteen seventy seven, and let's see here. First thing that popped up. Is this a bishop? He's a titular, titular bishop of Nabala. Where's that? I have no clue. Born in Norwich. What's, what's his name? His name. Is he real or is this the fake name? This is Joseph joke? Donnelly. He was an aux oh. auxiliary bishop of Hartford. Born in Norwich, Connecticut. I've uh, heard of Donnelly. But the, yeah. I'm just trying to match death dates. I don't, know why, I don't want to accuse this guy of being, you know, part of this... Uh, Cabal of Satanists. Yeah, well, yeah. consecration. Ordination was 1934. Consecration was January 28, 1965. Um, he died in 1977. But this, okay. Let's see here. Archbishop DG gave the consent to all three conditions. That's conditions of, you know, give me all the names and all that stuff. Because he wanted forgiveness. Um, it was a deathbed confession contained the full roster of names of all who had participated in the rite. The second contained the detailed description of the rite itself. Archbishop D.G. died on June 30th, 1977. On the night of July 3rd, Carnesecca was received in private audience by the old pope. Related everything, or related everything the dying archbishop had told him and watched while His Holiness examined both ledgers. Um... It was there that the pontiff decided that while he could not undo what had been done, he would make sure his successor on the throne of Peter would be fully informed. So it's really one of those situations where even then we can't we can't undo this. I just have to, I at least have to let the 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 next guy but, know. Okay, two major breakthroughs here. So is Martin saying that that's where in in real life? John Paul I got his list of Illuminati cardinals from because I always wondered where he got that list from. Is that That's who a real the, thing? Is that who the old pope is? Or you know, John Paul the old I pope is Paul the sixth, but John Paul That's the September remember, Pope. The September Pope followed him at a thirty three day pontificate. Some people say he, he got killed and he had a list of Many of the characters on in this novel are their real names are the names on the list uh, of Illuminati Mason cardinals, and it got uh, it got reburied, and people think he got killed over he was going to promulgate that list. So, are they saying this came from this deathbed confession? That because that would be, yeah, uh, that would be pretty impressive. I've well, always wondered where the hell John Paul I got that list. 
isn't uh, well the death the deathbed confessions they were i think that was part of some of Wagdilla's uh, success in his um in his investigations too there's a lot of people who are seeking to to be absolved later on in life and they're just they're you know or they feel like they're in danger and they want to turn state's witness but this is it they said uh, this is from uh, 599 a slight frisson came through Chris as he leaned forward in his chair and switched the reader on again. There was no longer any doubt in his mind that an enthronement ceremony had taken place. He had the testimony of two dead popes, and he had the testimony of a beloved friend, Aldo Carnesecca, to a deathbed confession of an eyewitness. It remained only, uh, it remained only to learn how it had been done and by whom. And that's when he learned about the uh, the double ceremony, the Bishop James Russiton that they found all. I, that's, I thought that he was going to get around to the box. He has to go and get the, the the box now. He has to. He has to talk to Slattery. They they got to get that box. It was a very special box. They didn't know what it was all about, but now they have to. Yeah. Um, and I wonder what's inside of there. They bring up Agnes. Yeah. When does when is that? There's so much that needs to happen in 40 pages. Yeah, where the where is Wagdella, man? And and like, yeah, and Agnes and Agnes's dad is a character in this. I he's got a name on my little, my little character key, dude. Frank, what? Sorry, slight slight speed change. What's the date of the enthronement to Satan? Uh, it's June twenty ninth, sixty three. It's not 29th, right? I nearly, okay, I nearly shit here. Listen, okay, listen to this. I was going to read you something. Famous real quote from Paul VI. Two years after he promulgates the new mass. Every, every trad knows this quote. It's real. He wrote it. Um, or he, I'll read you the quote. I just, I, I was Googling it to, to read it to you guys. And he, he wrote this thing on June the 29th. He wrote this thing on, I can't believe it. On June the 29th, 1972, so it's nine years to the day after the enthronement, and he writes, we would say that through some mysterious fissure, some people say cracks, through some mysterious fissure, no, it's not mysterious, meaning he knows what it is, through some crack, the smoke of Satan has entered the church of God. This is real. This is not just windswept house. There is doubt, uncertainty, problems, unrest, dissatisfaction, confrontation. The church is no longer trusted. We trust the first pagan prophet we see who speaks to us in some newspaper, and we run behind him uh, and ask him if he has the formula for true life. Doubt has entered our conscience, and it and it entered through the windows that should have been open to the light, uh, science. But he says the, 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 the smoke of Satan has entered the church of God. He wrote that on June the 29th, bro. So wow. he, <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, yeah, there had, it had to be an inspiration, something on his mind. It has to. Well, and and, well, and and also Martin saying that he knew about it. Yeah. This is Paul the Sixth. So yeah, that has to have been if he knew about the enthronement. He's saying the smoke of Satan entered the church. This is like for all the people out there that know I'm doing this book. Most people love it, but they go, "Oh yeah, you've heard all the the stories about uh, Malachi Martin's a tremendous liar." It's like. Dude, there's so many conceptual bridges that check out with reality. Like Paul the Sixth, if he knew about the enthronement and he knew about the availing time, then he set, he gives the 
famed every trad knows that it's like a bedtime story the, the smoke of satan entered through a fissure in the church into the church of god he gave that on june 29th that's crazy yeah that, that is nuts. so much out of reading this book i'm sorry that's, oh man i got goosebumps when i read that I, i'm getting i have goosebumps right now this is insane that's um, crazy june 29th i was like is it 26th or 29th we're almost there we should uh i don't know what we should do on the 29th that's like, wednesday that's next wednesday if, if say a rosary or something yeah but, yeah that's that's crazy man i'll be coming back i'll be coming back from uh the doing tim pool show on on uh Wednesday morning, so I'll be driving back, but I'll have my I'll have a show here. I could definitely do a rosary in the car. That's, That's dope, man. Something. I didn't know you were doing Tim Pool's show. I, I, yeah, I, I got I was uh, very honored to be asked to go down there and do the show this coming up Tuesday. So I'll be driving down to I think it's like the Maryland area, somewhere around there. That's right. That's sick. I, I'm friends with Seamus. Tell Seamus what's up. Oh, um, what, is, what Seamus like works there or something? Seamus is the Freedom Tunes guy, the Catholic guy. Tell him, tell him you're reading this book. He's he he goes on Tim Tim's show like three out of four nights now. Oh, so really? You'll, pro you'll probably be on. What does he look like? He's um, he's the little Catholic dude. He's just the one know. that looks normal. He doesn't have. He's not the super long hair like guy that whatever is always is into every wacky conspiracy theory. He's the guy that. He jokes with him. Tim Tim does half of the voices on Freedom Tunes with Seamus is the artist. He's he's a oh, I see Catholic. Him. I see him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll keep an I'll keep an eye out. I'll let him know then. Oh, that's dope. You're going on there. Sorry to sorry to change topic. So no, Tuesday right. Tuesday is when Don't Go to College interview uh, airs on Tucker's Night Show. So cool. we're we're both. Uh, well, I mean, it's not me; it's my co-author. But uh, that's for huge. The upcoming book, don't go to college. So Tuesday's going to be a big, pool. big day for both of us. Yeah, man, that's that's sick. What are you going on pool show about? I don't know. I just going to hang out, and I'm, I'm sure any anything will pop up, or I, I don't know. I'll just see. I'll make sure what the news of the day is. Then again, the, the news that was made this week alone is probably going to carry over and into. I mean, it's just it's all relevant. It's all relevant. That's like what we were talking about today about Roe versus Wade in this book. The fact that every that we are we have cho that it was so spontaneous that we said, Hey, let's do book club, let's do windswept house, and that we just started reading it and we were on this track and that we have covered everything from abortion to uh, other modes of contraception to world population control to international banking, the formation of deep church and deep state, uh, I, I, the, the World Economic Forum, Davos, Bilderberg, everything that's it's insane what we've been doing. It is. It's all like converging on on this book. And I've meant to read this book for like 10 years. And then when you're like, hey, do you want to do this? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then Ki Kiev, it's not even just Russia, it's Kiev. And the Fatima, uh, uh, one of the parts of allegedly the third secret of Fatima is Kiev, Russia stuff. Uh, and 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 it nuts. was it was only a couple of weeks before we started. It was uh, I remember the announcement was on the Ides of March. It was March fifteenth that uh, Pope Francis said that he was going to. Uh, oh no, he it was before March fifteenth. It was on the fifteenth that he was going to do a Fatima esque blessing, obviously invoking Fatima because you're talking about Russia, Ukraine, that whole area. So the fact that this, that all happened. Just maybe about a month or so before we started this book, too. I mean, the, the whole theme 
has been resounding. It's almost like a parallel, but we're just talking 30 some odd years later. Crazy. It's, yeah. No, it's it's really. You should you should tell Tim about this book, man. You should work it in somehow because it's been it's been so instructive to me, and there's so many converging lines uh, yeah. having having done this this book group it's been so good i will I, I well this stuff is always in the back of my mind this is what i like talking about anyway so i'll find a way to i'll find a way to make things weird don't worry <laughs> don't worry i'll find a way to make things weird but uh, i feel like you could talk to any because i i know tim's not seamus never harangues him or anything with with any of this stuff but i feel like just even just you talking even mentioning at the end that you read this book i feel like you could make anything palatable to anyone any different dude you know that's that's what a, a compelling bro you are I, i'm like I, i'm super excited to watch you on tim pool i hey, well I've, well thanks man thanks i appreciate yeah. it we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens and and regardless next friday we'll be getting together to to finish this up and then maybe the friday after that we can talk we can talk with your your friend maybe cool. we can Cool him. He's he's the man. Yeah, we'll, we'll so I'll push him back to the other Friday because we we don't we won't have any time. Uh, we have to do straight up book analysis next Friday. It's the finale. It's everything. So, yeah, I'll tell Coolum the, the Friday after that. And I'm starting. I thought it'd be well after uh, the Father Elijah book group. I thought it'd be well after we finished this. I, I set it up like a month ago, so I'll be fine because I'm I have it for eight thirty my time, eight thirty five, but I'll have to bounce out right at an hour. No uh, problem. Sucks no problem. And in, in fact, in fact, I want we got to finish this up so I can bounce myself. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. here we go. If a six hundred, six hundred, we're at the end here now. Um, where did I where did I leave off? Okay, that so smoke of Satan shit just blew my mind. Uh, yeah, no, and, and and we have to look up archbishops if there's any big hits. I just did a really quick search. It didn't really come up with anything except that one guy. But Archbishop D.G., June 30th, 1977. That's the death date. Uh, that's a, you know, deathbed confession. That's that's what I would love to look into, see if there's any hits there. I'll but, look it up. Yeah, the um, from all of Chris's digging, he comes to the conclusion that it is Orientini Silvestrini that uh, was the murderer for Aldo Carnesecca. So he has that in his mind because he just did process of elimination. And then uh, then now Which he says, yeah, yeah. He, he says, now I gotta, I gotta find the Pope. He has to find the Pope. And, um, and, and it's even asked of him. Luca Damo asked him, asked uh, Chris, as this is the, the Luca Damo's uncle, I think the one that works with Appleyard that can put together a really clandestine flight so he can go into Russia and really not be noticed by anybody being gone in Rome. He said, I understand the old Pope's weakness at the end of his life, Monsignor. And clearly the September Pope was cut off before he could counter the ritual with full force of an exorcism. But isn't it possible that the Slavic Pope has also been told of the enthronement that he knows and has done nothing? That was one question that was among many Chris had uh, wrestled with at the villa, and that's what I had wrestled with. I wonder when he gets to 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 Rome to um, Moscow, if uh, if JP two is going to tell him, I know, and you know, I don't know. That's that's what's coming up. Yeah, yeah. No, it's and that's it's how it ends. That's how it I, ends. I, I think Wagdilla is out for good, though, man. I don't I don't think he's coming back into the action. Do you? I don't know. 
I mean, I, I, maybe he he doesn't have to per se, because Slattery was on that mission to Rossiton's house in Virginia when he died. That bishop died, or the arch the cardinal died. Uh, he was there. It was it was it was Slattery that was there for that. It was that was right before he got kicked out for prodding around, uh, you know, poking around where all the coven's were were uh, were doing um, their their stuff, and. Yeah. Um, that's I. So he's got that. That box has got to make a, an appearance. It has to. The box yeah. has got to come back. Um, let's see here. Well, go ahead. You had more. I was just gonna make a joke. Oh, well. <laughs> There's so much shit to tie. I was just gonna say it's like that Jerry Jerry Seinfeld bit when he's like, you see, back in the '80s '90s show where you see, uh, you know, you're watching the 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 show that was prone to the to be continued. Knight Rider had a shitload of to be continueds. And you get to five minutes before the end, you're like, there's no way they can wrap this up. Right. I feel like we're going to get to the end and it's going to be a to be continued. And it's, this book is going to have a sequel and we didn't know. I, I don't know how they, I don't know how he's going to wrap this up in, in 40 pages, bro. I don't know either. Uh, and, and like you said, it's, it's worse than a uh, George R.R. R. Martin book at this point because uh, I don't expect another Game of Thrones uh, novel to come out uh, with the way that George R.R. R. Martin has been has been um, dragging his feet, but at least he's still alive. There's a possibility. You know, so I always was like this with all the Sopranos episodes and anything else that we were watching on HBO back in the day. It's like, okay, well, we got 15 minutes left. We got, you know, just waiting, waiting. Ah, This is big, but here, I guess the, the, the most important thing here, Tim, is that we're living the sequel. Yes, right. That's right. That's why we read it. <laughs> I mean, we're living the sequel, so we know what happens next. Um, and if this is any, if this is real information that's being delivered to us right now, as far as the backstory of the foundation of what we're dealing with right now, then whether or not it was brought to the public light doesn't mean that we still can't have a uh, a pretty strong uh, belief that. It's out there, and that's the reasoning for it. It it all still makes sense. Who knows? If it wasn't unearthed, if it wasn't made public, who knows? But still, I think the big public display is not ours. Um, if we're going to get some kind of revelation, it's going to come. It's going to hit everybody in the face. So there's that. Uh, Affy, yep. we're going to, to the, the thread now. Affy... 29 says, Frank and frankly, maybe I'm 50 pages behind you guys, but I wanted to draw parallels to my life with this one before we close up. Basically, early 2020, I saw the struggles of good and evil weigh heavily around the globe and started going to Protestant church, then quickly Bible study, etc., really turning to God and connecting to Christ. Over Christmas, my younger brother comes back from Brazil and tells me he has a girlfriend uh, there who is pregnant and abortion is illegal there and she can't get a visa to America. He goes back to South America, traveling around looking for an uh, an abortion, and they invite me, and I think that they need a positive push in the right direction, so I go. Good Friday, I'm listening to Steve Bannon, and he makes a point to devote an entire episode to this guy, Dr. Taylor Marshall. Uh, He made so much sense, I went to his YouTube and watched an episode with him and uh, and this guy, Tim Gordon, comparing traditional Catholicism to other sects of Christianity. I started praying the rosary daily and learning more about my roots of traditionalists. 
Meanwhile, it's obvious the baby is coming and they don't know how to handle it, but I have faith. I saw them not taking care of themselves. Example, she wasn't eating or sleeping enough in protest of having a baby, but I would take her to the doctor and the baby was healthy. April 27th, the baby is born beautiful and healthy, and I'm letting, uh, and I'm letting my podcast play, and I hear an episode of The Book Club begin. I couldn't believe that I've been searching and praying, and quite frankly, this book club has traditional Catholic themes. All around this time was the leak of the Roe versus Wade. Needless to say, my brother and his girlfriend immediately fell in love with their baby. Their mother is helping them take care of her healthy baby boy in Brazil because they still aren't even able to live in the same country. I believe it's all prayers, Mother Mary and the saints in heaven that have helped this baby situation. And this book has been so great in tying my research of traditional religion together. I see the depopulation narrative that has been going on since well before I was born, where people just want to have sex with anyone, like there's no consequences, which in the Bible is a mortal sin. Even as a Catholic child, I've been lied to about about life by people who don't even realize that they have been manipulated. Now I'm back in New York City, found a Latin mass, that's that, uh, and that's the story. Thank you for the book club. Thank you, uh, Frank and Tim. You guys have been great. God bless. Beautiful. Yeah. God's, God is so good. That's such, such an amazing uh, tale. And of course, they fell in love with the baby right away. Of course. I, I don't know how it's, how it's possible otherwise. I don't know how it's possible. Um, Sharon says, Paul's decision to look to Christian for answers when Declan is missing in the cave collapse is a turning point for Paul. He asks all the right questions of Christian, realizes he knows the answers, and understands that uh, the one thing he never gave Declan was faith. The same faith that he grew up with at Windswept House after seeking absolution for his mortal sin from Christian, a phone call comes in with help from Regis Bernard, a man who knows the caves. It's a secret entrance, areas of the caves that have been unmapped. Coincidence or God's will, I hope the book goes back to Paul after Declan is found and hospitalized. There's so few pages left to read and so much to resolve. Will Paul return to the Catholic roots? Did nearly losing Declan give Paul the courage he needs to turn back on evil? Turn his back on evil? I'm not expecting answers to these questions now, but hoping that they're part of the last 41 pages of the book. Also, when Christian discovers the truth and the names behind the enthronement, Mestriani's name is not among them. Though Christian is sure that he played some part, there is so much going on right now. Christian is restless. He knows what is at stake and feels that he needs to reach the Pope and would have him return to the Vatican immediately, but is advised that the Pope would not conclude his trip to Russia early. Yes, I know. Um, He's dealing with a lot, but everybody is steadfast in what they're doing. Everybody is steadfast. Paul's Paul's confession, he knows. Remember, he spent time in the seminary. It's conditioned. His full expiation is conditioned upon, you know, making a full return to the church. So... Yeah, so I, if we don't go, get another vignette with Paul, we, no, I'm not saying we won't, I don't know. But if we don't, then it's you can safely presume that by making that confession to his brother, I think I think he's good. I yeah. think he's going back. 
Yes, I do. I really do. Well, that's it right now. I think that's good enough to stop. Um, uh, next Friday is going to be great. Um, a lot of will have happened since then. Well, a lot of things that we're living through right now will have developed a little bit more. Uh, will, you and I both have a pretty big day on Tuesday and Friday. I think that it's going to be a really big celebration to be able to get through this book draw some final conclusions and uh and give it some thumbs up thumbs down and just talk in general so uh tim if there's nothing else you got man i appreciate for all your time man i appreciate you bro and that, thank you to all the uh franklies out there that were so uh good and and, and you too frank for my my godson thank oh, you guys God, absolutely God's so good absolutely thank you so much Love man send my best send my best to the whole family over there and we'll talk shortly i'm sure you too, brother. Peace. All right. 99. Everybody, be well. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. And uh, and I'll see you soon. Be good. Good night. <laughs>